to change your tires. There's four different sizes on this, from 17 millimeters up to 20 millimeters. Each one has a different size, and there's a certain way you can get tires off. That's good, okay. Number two, everything else, this is a little bit different. It looks the same, but it's a little bit different. What is this for? What is this for? Anything else? Okay, Abby's, it's good. It's a wrench, and it's a little different purpose. This is called a breaker bar. Does anyone know what the purpose of the breaker bar is? <laughs> that sounds getting confused about his gender this morning. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is designed so you don't hurt. It actually is a longer lever. And the, the length here from here to here is actually pretty short. So this actually has double the length to give you more leverage. So when your lugs get stuck on your wheels, you have more leverage. Okay, that's number two. Okay, Pashans, do not answer again. Okay, here we go. Okay, number three. Okay, here we go. Now, this is strange. Now, this has its own case. And there's a purpose. There's a case in there. The case over this wrench has a very specific purpose. So this one has protection. It's got these little numbers in the bottom. What is this wrench for? Anybody females know? You know? No? No? <laughs> okay. It's also for a tire. So this little bottom here, it, it's at foot pounds. There's a certain amount of newtons of torque that this does. This is actually called a torque wrench. When you put your lug nuts back onto the car, you don't want to just tighten them or over tighten them or under tighten them. Each, if you go to your glove compartment and pull out for a Toyota, for a Honda, for each one, there's a different number in your glove compartment, how tight you should tighten each one of your lugs. This wrench is designed for that. And if you put this in your trunk and get banged around, you can damage it. That's why it comes in its own case so that it's calibrated correctly when you do your lugs. Okay, all right, so females did pretty good. Okay, men, here's, here's your target. Now, Pastor Hans, okay, now you can answer. Pastor Hans, what is this for? Does any of the men know what this is for? Any of the men know what this is for? No men? No, no man knows what this is for? No one? What, what was it, Pastor Hans? A can opener, okay, that's good. Pastor Hans gonna go hungry tonight, opening cans with this. <laughs> okay, what is this for? Anyone open door? Ponytail holder, Pat, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, very good. Ponytail holder, very good. Very good, very good. Pretty impressive, wow. And he doesn't even have any daughters, pretty impressive. What is this for? You can barely see this. You can barely see there's two little hooks at the end of this. It's a very small device. Online, I don't know if you can see this, but it's very small and has two loops at the end of it. Oh, who knows? Who knows? Matt, Matt knows? Oh, Eli. Sorry, Eli. It's a pimple popper. This is a blackhead remover. This makes you beautiful every day as you take out your pimples and your blackheads, which I, I do not know what this is for. Good. Eli, pretty impressive. Okay. Last one. What is the purpose of this? Of this? What is the purpose of this? Anyone know? Pastor Hans, you know what the purpose is? What is the purpose of this? Anyone know? Men and leave, men and, oh, oh, go ahead, Hanson. It's a facial massager. Let me tell you what the description, this tighten and smoothen and sculpts skin. It discourages the appearance of wrinkles and improves the elasticity. It reduces puffiness and circles around your eyes, it eliminates toxins through lymphatic drainage. You can buy this on Amazon for $16. It's amazing, this jade roller, it's amazing. So men, you did pretty good, I'm pretty impressive. Those are the original designs of each of those things. Yeah, the young, young men did very well here. Thank you, thank you. That's right, that's right, thank you. So each one of these has a very specific design. You can't really use it for too many other things. 
Each one has a specific design. So we think about this morning as we approach God's word, what is God's design for us and the purpose of the day? So let's go through it. Okay, so here we are in verse three, and I'm reviewing a little bit what Pastor Hans did last time. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there's a separation. And many theologians feel, we know that this is not the sun. It's probably God himself has provided this light. And he's providing separation between the light and the darkness. And there's evening, morning, the first day, and it was good. Okay, let's keep going. And he said, and second day, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters, and let the water separate from the waters. The Hebrews believe that the waters were separated from waters above and waters below. God made the expanse and separated those waters, and it was so, and he called the expanse heaven. So there's this idea that the water is separated from the water. And I told you briefly in one of my other sermons that I think that's why they live so long, that this canopy, this water barrier above the earth protected them from the UV rays. And, and, and I like a super ozone layer and allowed people to grow very, um, live very long and animals grow very large. And what it says here is he called the expanse heaven. So in the Hebrew mind, there's actually three heavens. You remember Paul talking about going up to the third heaven? The first heaven's kind of right you see here, like the skies and what we see, the blue skies. The second heaven would be the stars and what we see then the third heavens where God lives. And so what we're talking about is the first heaven here on the second day in between the two expanses of water. And then on the third day, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And he called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered, the seas, and God saw it was good. And on the bonus, on day three, he says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, fruit trees bearing fruit, and each according to its own kind, and it was evening, morning, the third day. So something very special happens on the third day. We actually see life for the first time, vegetation. So one, two, three. Okay, let's keep going. So it's very interesting. On day four, he says, let the lights in the expanse of the heavens be separate from the day and the night, and let there be signs and seasons and days and time. Time actually comes into play on day four. And God made two great lights, the great light to rule the day and a lesser light, lesser light to rule the night in the stars. So we see God putting stars in place, the sun in place, the moon in place, and it's very important on the fourth day, morning and evening, fourth day. Let's go to the fifth day. And God said that the waters swarm uh, with swarms of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea creatures and every uh, living creature moves out of the waters swarm and they kept multiplying according to its own kind. And God saw it was good evening and morning, the fifth day. Okay, going pretty quick here. And then sixth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their own kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then he said, let it, and here's the bonus on day six, just like there's a bonus on day three, there's a bonus on day six. And God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and the creeping things that creep on the earth. Day six has the bonus of man and woman being created on day six. Okay, so I, I kind of just reviewed what Pastor Hans did, but Pastor Hans did something else for us. He brought us together in a very concise way. I just want to show graphically what he talked about. Day one, two, and three are almost empty shells. 
There's the light and the darkness, the expanse, the water above, the water below, and the land. And they're just kind of like empty shells. What does God do on day four? It's very interesting God does on day four. He fills that light and darkness with two great lights and darkness and stars. He's filling in the shell. He's saying, I created this, and here's the purpose. I'm going to fill it. Okay, on day two, he created uh, the expanses, the heavens above and the water below. And we know what he fills us with. He takes the birds and he puts the birds up in the heavens and he puts the fish down in the sea and he fills the void. And the same thing with day three. Day three creates land and the land is filled with vegetation and now he fills it in with animals, with creeping things on the earth. And of course, men and women. So God had a purpose for day one, two, and three. He goes, let me fulfill the purpose. Let me fulfill what I created the shell for. And what I want us to see here is that God, the Trinity, Elohim, has purpose. There's a reason why God does everything. Each day is not accidental. Each day has purpose. The world is not an accident. Each day has order. Each day has an intelligent design behind it. God is a God of order and a God of purpose. And I want to contrast this with our modern-day theory that the world just came out of nothing. But the world just is an accident. And when you have that worldview, then we too are products of fortune, blind chance. And when you have that mentality that's opposite of the biblical view, there's really no purpose for us. There's really nothing that we are designed to do. And when you have that worldview, it creates a whole different outlook in your life. There are lives lose purpose. Okay, so let's get into, okay, that was a little bit of review. So let's go into our, our verses today. This is the verse that uh, William helped us to read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And it goes on to say male and female, he created them. You see, God created, in image God, he created, he created male and female. Repetition in scripture. So Pastor Hans teaches us when you see it repeated three times, create, 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 it's very important. It's the first poem we see in the Bible of this rhyme of God creating his own image, an image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And it's the first day that we know that it's very good. Everything's been good up to now. But day six, very good, very important, very good. And up till now, nothing bears God's image. Up till now, nothing kite lives up to who God is. But on day six, when it's very good, finally, man and woman is created with a capacity to be like God, to bear his image, to reflect his glory, to display his character. This is what is very good. That man is created intelligent, thinking, aware, reflecting, deciding, knowing, reasoning. This is why it's very good. Because there's nothing like in creation that can do that. Only God's image, only someone created in the image of God could have those capacities. And most importantly on this day, man and woman are morally aware. Men and women know truth. Men and women know right and wrong. Men and women know what it is to obey. 
men and women know what it is to live under a sovereign because this sovereign told them, do this and don't do this. Work and rest. Touch this, don't touch this. Eat this, don't eat this. This man and woman understood their place. This man and woman had purpose in their lives because they had a relationship with their creator. They knew who created them. They knew their relationship. They understood who's king of this universe, and they are not king of, of the universe. It is God. And that relationship with God gives them and defines who they are. This is a perfect world at this point. There's absolutely nothing wrong here as men and women know their God. Okay, let's delve into this a little bit deeper because it gets kind of interesting because he does make a very interesting distinctive here. Male and female, he created them. And this, this distinctiveness, he's creating a divine nature that shows part of God is like a man. Part of God is like a woman. We are not really reflecting God completely until we understand who men are and who women are, each creative and distinctive in their ways. Now, I got some of these off focus on the family, so you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm going to generalize men. Men are generally explorative. Men like to complete the task. Men like opportunistic. They like to take chances. Like I remember every Every year in elementary school, I mean, one kid that would run through a glass door and he'd either break his arm, break his collarbone, get cut. I mean, little boys, men want to do that. They want to try doing these things. They're active, they're competitive. And men have that initiative built into them. They do these things. Now, this is not biblical. I'm getting off biblical track now. I'm going to tell you a little more about men. This is bonus material, by the way, for, for the men here in the room. You know, I think men want to attract women and we when dressed well, you think women would be attracted by a thousand dollar suit, $300 shoes, that might look nice, but what women would be really attracted by, if you put on an apron and cook them wonton noodle soup, that would be something. They'd be really attractive. If you put on rubber gloves and wash the dishes, then they'd be attractive to you. Then they would think, see, Hannah's nodding her head. She knows that this is what would be attractive to women. And men think, you know, if I know things, if I gain knowledge, I'll be very smart and intelligent. I'll impress the women. For instance, if you knew on a dice that the six opposes the one, the five opposes the two, the three opposes four, and every time it adds up to seven, on every side that if you, if you add them up, and we're like, oh, that, that's great, thanks. <laughs> if you keep your fingers on the home row on the keyboard, the only state that you can type out is Alaska without moving your fingers. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's wonderful. And you're showing this women. Women are not impressed. Women are impressed if you're smart enough to put money away in your 401k instead of spending it on everything they're thinking of your future. You're thinking you're going to provide for them. You think, I want to be with you for, for the long term. And it'd be even smarter thinking that's a Roth 401. If you have a Roth 401, then a woman would be very attracted to you. And that's, that's something for men to think about. Women, on the other hand, again, the front focus on the family, they value intimacy over action, uh, wisely and selectively receptive. They're just not open to everyone. Women have this sixth sense, right? They have this woman's intuition. They're just not open to everyone. They're very careful who they open themselves up to. They seek security. They value dependability. And they use their words very much to develop connections with people. It's this corpus callosum, right? The left and right half of the brain, it's joined together very carefully. Women have more connections than men. They can see those bigger pictures. They can put things together in a bigger way. Okay, so what can women do that men can't do? 
They can take, okay, this is bonus material, it's not biblical. Uh, they can take a compliment and make it an insult. Have you seen this on the internet? This range, they can take a compliment and make it an insult. Have you guys seen this? It's like, well, um, Irene's here. Irene looked very nice today. And Irene might talk to Pastor Hans and say, Pastor Hans, did I not look nice yesterday? So instantly, he took that compliment and turned it in insult. Only women have the ability to do something like that, right? And the women have the ability, you know, they could go in their closet, they could have hundreds of, you know, blouses, shirts, uh, things in there, and they could walk out of the closet. And what, what does a woman say? I have nothing to wear. Only a woman could do A guy goes in there like, oh, I got plenty to wear. A woman goes in there, I got nothing to wear. And only women have the ability to do those kind of things. So it's very interesting how male and female, God creates us very differently, distinctively. But as he goes on here, it's very interesting. What does he say next? And God blessed them. There's something about together that men and women are not complete. You know, there's this argument, are men superior to women? Are women superior to men? And we see that in our society, who is better? And what we see here in scripture, men are superior to women at being men. Women are superior to men at being women. That's the way God created us. Men should be men, women should be women. We shouldn't break down that distinctive. It's a very good distinctive, but he's blessing them together. He's looking at them together. And what he's telling them, be fruitful together. And, and I'm interpreting this fruitful as being productive, of being able to work things out together. Look at the problems together. Look at life together. Look at how we work together as men and women. Somehow we're incomplete of ourselves. But think of how God created us. When God created us, we're perfectly healthy. Adam, healthy and handsome. Eve, full of life, strong, able to run and swim and do their work. And why can they do their work well? Because their minds are sharp. You know, you and I have all realized our, our, our minds are not as sharp as they used to be. You know, our bodies are not able to do what we used to do. But Adam and Eve, able to laugh and discern and see the job before them and get the job done because their bodies are perfectly suited to do what God asked them to do. If God asked them to work the garden or take care of home, they can take care of it. They can do it because God equipped them perfectly to do their jobs. And there's no gap between what God asked them to do and what they could do because they're perfectly formed. And you think about all their senses, all of us, again, realize that we don't feel or see or hear or taste perfectly. All of us, it's interesting. One of my patients, I, I was working with dentures and he said, doc, you, you really did it to me. Because when I go to bed now, I have to take off my glasses. I have to take off my hearing aids. And now I have to take off my teeth. And he was putting all these things in his counter. And he realized that how his senses had diminished over the years and how all of us are going through that process. But Adam and Eve have the full capacity of their brain, of their strength, and of their senses. And they can do everything that God commands them to do, but they're formed perfectly for the task that God made them to do. The original purpose, the original intent, and what God asked them to do, they could do it. No questions asked. They could do it. Okay, let's go on. And God said, Behold, I have given every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it for fruit, you shall have them for food. So every plant, every orchid they looked at is perfectly formed. It's beautiful. It thrives. Every bud grows. It's perfectly fragrant. 
There's nothing wrong with any plant, anything on the earth that way. And we talk about eating here. This is very important because we know in heaven and for Adam and Eve that the, we eat at the Lord's table, that in the garden they ate. It was like the best banquet all the time. And, and when you think about it, Adam and Eve got hungry. They had this perfect hunger. And what was interesting is that they're perfectly satisfied by the food. And all of us realize you know, that either we came away from that meal that we are still hungry or we ate too much. We overeat or we undereat. But in the garden, when it's perfect, it's a perfect meal. We're perfectly satisfied. We have this perfect hunger. We have perfect satisfaction from being fed. Every bite tastes perfect. You know why? Because your incisors are at the correct angle. Because your premolars are at the right angle. There's no gaps. You've not lost any teeth. There's no decay in your teeth. Your tongue is perfectly formed. Your tongue pushes the food back on the occlusal table of your molars. Your molars are inclined at the 20 degree angle to allow the food to be masticated perfectly over and over again. God designed that perfectly. That is a perfect chamber. There's no blender in the world that can do as much as your teeth and your tongues and your lips that push the food back over your teeth. And your taste buds perfectly formed. You enjoy every bite. The food tastes perfect. It fills you so there's no overeating or undereating. All our desires, every one of our hungers, that's just hunger, but every one of our desires is perfectly fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with the desire. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. This is the way God created us, but it's also going back to the Lord, understand that he will fulfill every one of those perfectly, just like he did for Adam and Eve. Every one of our desires perfectly fulfilled. Every one of our desires filled in the Lord. And it was interesting, what Augustine said here is that you can do anything you want, and the way he said is, if you love God, do as you please. Adam and Eve could do anything they want in the garden as long as they had that precursor of loving God. If you love God, you can do whatever you want. Wouldn't that be an interesting state to be in? That whatever your, your desire was, you could fulfill it, and you'd be perfectly fulfilled if you love God and understand God's purpose for your life. So let's go on and talk about what Adam and Eve are to do here. Here it is in 28. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I told you that God is king over the universe. But he made us, men and women, Adam and Eve, king and queen over the garden, over the earth. Subdue it, have dominion over it as the king and as the queen over the earth, you can make roads wherever you want to make roads. You can make cities. You can make your homes. You choose. You decide how to use the garden, how to use your faculties, how to use all the resources. It's up to you. As long as you love God, you can do whatever you want to be productive in your work, to fulfill and help others, to think about the animals, to think about the earth, think about your neighbors. You can do whatever you want as you love God. He's given us the talents and the abilities to do it. And he's saying, go to it. Subdue it. Have dominion over the earth. And think about the work that God gave them to do. That they're perfectly gifted to do this work. They're perfectly matched, and their work pleases God. How would it, be, how would it feel to come home from work and say, that was a perfect day of work. I used my gift. I felt fulfilled. I felt like I used... All my capacities, my strength, my mind, my strength 
to everything I could do in my work, and it turned out wonderfully. You know what? You can actually feel good about yourself, not in a prideful way, not like, look how good I am, but because I've helped others. I've built something here. I've built the family. I've built something better on this earth. It's a better place now that I've worked here than it was yesterday. You could feel satisfied in that. Our work could be what God designed it to be. And we could say we love our work. Wouldn't that be an interesting state to be in? That we could um, use each day in a way that would please the Lord because he designed us for that work. And we're fulfilled in that work. And we feel good about relationship to God, our work, and each other. Okay, here's the last verse I'm going to cover today. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there's evening and morning the sixth day. So we get here to the last verse here in verse 31. We understand God's original purpose, what he designs for us to eat, what he designs for us to play, how God designs us for work. There's an original purpose, an original intent, an original reason why he gave us all these capacities, why he made us male and female. And we understand it's to have fellowship with him. When our connection with him is correct, when our lives are lined up with him, when our fellowship with him is unbroken, everything else we do falls into place. If you love God, you can do whatever you want, and it will always please him because that relationship is unbroken. So this is the hard part because all of us know that this is not the case in our lives. All of us sitting there, I would love to be like that, Gordon. I love what you're talking about. I love that harmony you're talking about. I love that fellowship you're talking about. I love that work. I'd love to have a day like that with my family. But my life is not like that. If we're unable to enjoy his fellowship, we don't really want to be here this morning. We kind of got dragged out of bed, and I don't really want to be in God's house seeing God's word. I'm not really enjoying or looking forward to that banquet. My memory my personality, my passions, they're off track. There's things in my life that don't line up with everything you just described. I'm not fruitful. I've kind of lost my purpose in life. I don't really have that joy. What has happened and where are we? I'm going to go back to what we kind of talked about at the beginning. This is a story from... Um, Chuck Swindoll, and it's, it's an interesting story. Let's see if I can read it to you. It's about a hammer. It's about a hammer. And we talked about tools earlier, and a hammer really has one purpose. And, and I'll try to read you the story about the hammer. The hammer is useful and a handy instrument. It's an essential and helpful tool. If nails are ever to be driven in place, it is by this tool, the hammer. Each blow forces the nail to bite deeper and deeper as the hammer pounds and pounds that nail. So we think about the nail here and the hammer, it's like pounding, it's pounding, and pounding, it's perfect. It's exactly what it's designed to do. We think, wow, that hammer has design. That hammer has purpose. That hammer is fulfilling its purpose. And each time he drives that nail, it's like, man, I'm doing my job. This is great, I feel really good. Now here's what Swindoll says, this is very interesting. But if the nail had feelings, 
And if the nail had intelligence, and he would say a different side of the story. The nail, the hammer is brutal. It's relentless. It's a master that beats it into submission. I think, oh, I didn't think about this guy. Think about this nail. This nail doesn't like the hammer. It hates the hammer. This nail's just the hammer's just doing its job, but the nail hates it. The nail can't stand it. And here's how Swindoll concludes that story: the nail tends to forget that both it and the hammer are held by the same workman. The workman decides whose head will be pounded out of sight, and the hammer, which hammer, will be used to do its job. This is the decision and the sovereign right. Of the carpenter. The carpenter gets to decide who's the hammer and who's the nail. The carpenter decides how deep and which nails to be what. It's the carpenter who's designing this whole process overall. And we're so concerned about me and, and my life and that I'm not getting what I want. Or I'm just saying that I'm not like the hammer. I, I'm the hammer and I'm doing everything I want and I don't care about anyone else. We get too hung up with this and we miss the sovereign carpenter, the one who's put everything into place. And if we are in that point when I described earlier that we're losing our purpose, we're losing our design, we don't quite take joy in where we're at, let me bring you back to the creator. Let me bring you back to the one who can recreate us. The recreator can take each one of us and give us back our original purpose and our original design and what he designed us for. We try to find it in any other way, we'll never be satisfied. We have to come back to the God who can create us back into the original image that he designed us for. He has a purpose, and that purpose, as you know, Pastor Hans always said this morning, to know him, enjoy his presence, and to love others. We're made for one purpose, to reflect his glory. Okay, let's close in prayer. I thank you for the original purpose that you made each one of us in this room for. You've given us that purpose in you. We're designed to reflect your glory, designed to enjoy our relationship with you, to enjoy that fellowship with you. And yet each one of us has gotten off track. Each one of us has lost our original intent. We come back to you as not only our creator, but our redeemer and our recreator. Please recreate in our hearts, Lord, our purpose and our design to be like you through the person of Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, as Hannah and Shanice and Abby Talisa.